0: Hey everyone, welcome back to the Westbridge Church Podcast. To learn more about Westbridge Church, including our service times, visit us online at westbridgedanville.com. We hope this week's message encourages you to take
1: your next step in your faith journey. Good morning, uh, Westbridge. I have uh, the distinct privilege this morning uh, to welcome uh, our guest preacher, someone who's become a friend over these last couple of months, Joshua Broom. Uh, Josh resides with his wife, Hope, in Dallas, Texas, with their three beautiful children, uh, and he just has a powerful story of what God has saved him from and brought him out of. And uh, even as we were doing dinner last night, I was just reminded and encouraged by just how powerful, how merciful, uh, and and how kind our God is. And so I am so excited to uh, get to hear what God has laid on his heart and as a church family that we might be encouraged and and edified by it. And so I'm going to pray for him as he comes and pray for us that we would be uh, challenged and then we'll get to sit under God's word together. God, thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for uh, how you orchestrate our lives, and um, Lord, reminded of that even in Josh's story. We pray that we would be encouraged and that we would be challenged, Lord, that you would give us freedom, Lord, that we would, uh, for those of us who feel enslaved, feel entrapped uh, in the things that we're going to be talking about this morning. Or that you might provide uh, the way only through the hope and through the message of Jesus and the good news uh, that we have in him. Thank you for uh, not only hope and life now, but hope and life in eternity. We're grateful. We pray that we would uh, be edified by your word this morning. We pray this all in Jesus' beautiful name.
0: Hey, good morning. Oh, man, we're still asleep. Good morning. There we go. There we go. Uh, man, so so honored to be here. Thank you, Kyle. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a joy to tell my story. We all have a story, um, and God has moved through my life in such a way that I never imagined. Like when we hear... Uh, Ephesians three twenty, where God will do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ever hope or imagine. I think uh, it continues to exceed my expectations every day. Uh, but I, I just want to say, uh, I'm really encouraged. I'm really encouraged by this church. I'm really encouraged by uh, the message of hope. Uh, when you look a storm or a tragedy in the face and you say, uh, "God is good." In spite of how I feel, um, we can hurt with hope, and that's the, that's the message of the gospel. That, and we see in Revelation twenty one, He will wipe away every tear. He will make all things new. That's who He is. That's what He does. And we can cling on to that even while we're hurting. Um, so it's, it's amazing to see God's word in action. But I want to share with you uh, my story. Uh, Really quickly, I I, I came here to make much of Jesus, and uh, and part of that is is for me sharing my story. So I grew up in a really small town in South Carolina, like really small. Like We just got a Taco Bell recently, and there was like a parade, so like really small. And uh, growing up in this town, my mom had me when she was 16, so she was very young. And my dad was in that town. Um, so he never did anything malicious to me, but he chose not to be in my life and Being in a small town, that that was confusing to me because while i didn 't have my father in my life, I would see him at the grocery store, I would see him at the gas station, and then what happens in most instances like that is I put that on me what 's wrong with me? I feel inadequate then all of a sudden, I try to prove myself for the rest of my life. And, you know, it's it's really interesting. We're, we're going to talk about the life of Peter. And it's just, um, each of us, we all have a story. And there's different nuances of our story. And if you will give your gifts and passions and pain and all those things to God, He will repurpose them and put you on a trajectory that He intended for you to be on. But... Uh, me having a high achiever personality was something from God. It was a gift. And if it causes me to operate in excellence and, and get things done, that's great. But if it causes me to believe that I need to do something to prove myself, if I think that if through achievements I can validate myself, if I can prove myself through achievement and make me worthy of someone, that's not what God intended that's the way that I lived my life. So it was achievement after achievement. So, you know, I was trying to make the best grades, not so that I could obtain a a great education and go to college. I was trying to make the best grades because I needed to be the best so that I would put enough achievement on my pain. And then... It was sports. I needed to be the best player on the team. I needed to take the last shot. I needed to make the last shot. I needed to win. I needed to be the best. Why? Uh, That's not a bad thing, but I wanted that. I needed that because I needed to prove my worth. Because I had this father that was in arm's reach, but he wasn't in my home. And that was really painful for me. And my mom's amazing. My mom gave me everything that I ever needed, wanted. Um, you know, we we struggled financially, but I never knew it at the time because I had everything that everyone else had. I didn't realize my mom was working 60 hours a week just so that I could go to basketball camps and, and simple things like that that um, it's easy to take for granted. But this this life trajectory just continues on, and... I start modeling and acting, and uh, same thing, I, I, I need to get the part, I need to be the best, I, I need to, you know, whatever it is, whether it be an audition or, or something, you know, I had the opportunity to, you know, be in a show or whatever it is, I had to get the part because I was clinging on to the approval of other people to validate myself, and it's an endless circle, and it's so exhausting. I continued to live that way, and I ended up going to college, studying theater, and again, I was studying theater because I thought, okay, if I do this, it'll equate to this, and um, as jobs continue to come, I thought, well, uh, this, this trajectory is too slow, and I thought, well, if I, if I take myself and I move myself to Hollywood, and I'm in closer proximity to the industry I wanted to be in, then I will be successful. And I I was right. I I moved out to Hollywood, got an agent, started getting jobs. And like many people who are in Hollywood or really expensive places, like you need to get another job while you chase the job you want to mediate your expenses. And I'm working at uh, a restaurant in the middle of West Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. And while I'm there, these three girls asked me a question. that changed the trajectory of my life. They asked me if I wanted to be an actor. And I thought they were talking about traditional acting, the acting that I was pursuing. And I was like, sure, yeah. I thought maybe they were going to introduce me to a person or a project. But they were talking about the adult film industry. And when, when they said this, it was it was pretty shocking to me but often, when you're exposed to something that you never were meant to be exposed to, it distorts how you see. That's the way that sin works. See, God is never blind to our sin, but sometimes our sin makes us blind to God. And that's where I was. So, this, this these people, they invite me into this industry. And then I, I, I said, okay, I'll, I'll take a meeting with their agent. And their agent asked me three questions. He says... Um, How'd you grow up? Why are you here? What do you hope to accomplish? And um, I was like, well, uh, I guess I, you know, want to be an actor. I grew up just pretty much me and my mom, and I guess I want to be famous. And if you were looking for material to manipulate someone, it comes from a broken home, and he's, and he's saying he wants to be famous, but he really wants to be seen. He really wants to feel loved. He really needs affirmation. He needs someone else to tell him he's worth something. So he offers me an opportunity to be in that industry. And I, and I did it against poor judgment. I knew my mom taught me better than that. But I did it anyway. And then I, I did a movie. And then that movie, it destroyed my life. Uh, instantly. The, the mainstream agent that was representing me in for modeling and acting, hey, uh, I understand that you did this. We can't be associated with your likeness. A few days later, my mom calls me. Your uncle heard at work that you were doing these things. Is this true? And I said, yes. And I was humiliated. And often you'll find yourself, when you make a mistake, and we all are imperfect, so we all do, we make mistakes, and then we're in the crossroad, and it's so easy ...to continue to compromise. It's difficult to change. It's difficult to change once you've compromised. It's, it's, it's difficult to own up to it. It's, it's difficult to tell the truth. But it's so much easier to allow that circumstance to dictate what you do next. And that's what happened for me. This is, this is what I've done, so I believe the lie that my behavior was my identity. Now I'm, this is just who I am. And that's the dangerous thing about a lie... If you believe a lie to be true, it becomes true to you. And through that lie, you create a worldview, and you see everything through it. Because you believe that to be true. That's the dangerous thing about trying to become your own God. You are a terrible God. You you cannot rule over yourself. Your feelings are fickle. Your heart is deceitful. Jeremiah talks about this. The thing, the promises of the world are actually things that your heart longed for. But we have to reject them. And at that point, um, I was just so broken that I just continued on this path. And I stayed in that industry for six years. And even in that industry, I believed, well, um, if I have enough success, if I make enough money, then I would feel validated. I made the money, I had the success. And where it left me was a place where I was making a plan to take my own life. Because the money didn't didn't fix the wound in my heart. How many people knew who I was? Didn't fix the wound in my heart. And the last day that I, I made a movie, I made a plan to take my life, and then I walked into a bank. And on this day, I was looking for additional material to kind of twist the knife. Feel like if, if I if I you know uh, if if I. Engage in this essentially masochistic behavior, if, if I make my feel, myself feel worse about myself, uh, then I would be able to take that next step. So for me, I would always get paid checks, and then on these checks was a memo, and the memo said what I was being paid for. It was very clear what, it was, what I was being compensated for. And I go into this bank, and normally I would do the ATM or the drop box because I didn't want to s- slide a check across the counter and say, this is, this is what I'm being compensated for. But on this day, I did. Um, I thought it was going to push me over the edge, so I go to the counter, I slide the check across the counter, and something very different happened. While I thought she was going to antagonize me or... You know, make some kind of face or say something mean that would give me additional motivation. I believe prompted by the Holy Spirit. She looked into my eyes. I felt like she looked into my soul and she said, Joshua, are you okay? Joshua, is there something I can do for you? And while this was so powerful, is I had pushed everyone away in my life. You see, in this... In this adult industry, you don't go by your name, you go by a pseudonym. And that, by itself, should display the level of shame that's associated with it. You're going by a fake name. But that fake name, it became my identity, and Joshua didn't exist. I had pushed my mom away, my brother away, um, every, everyone that was actually a friend. Anyone that was saying to me, Joshua, I love you, but why are you doing this? Why, why are you living like this? You're better than this. I love you. Like, Do something else. You have gifts and talents. It, like, There's other things that you can do. And why people stay stuck where they are is they believe the rather. They believe, well, I can't do anything else. I, I believed with absolute certainty the lie that Well, this is what I did, so this is who I am. I'll never be married. Like, maybe I could marry a girl, but I'll never have a wife. I I don't have the capacity to be a husband. There's no way I'll be a father. I never experienced having a father. I never saw it modeled. There's no way that I could be a dad. And no one's ever going to take me seriously. One of the things that I'm most passionate about is being creative in a way that impacts people in a positive way. It prompts them to chase after their dreams, to become whoever they're pursuing to be. And I was like, no one's going to take me seriously. My life's over. It's ruined. I'm done. That's what I believe to be true. In that moment, she spoke my name. It woke me up. And I I, I love the, the story in Acts 16 where... The jailer is about to take his own life and we see you know something miraculous just happened this earthquake happens and the you know the 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 jail cells open and uh the guard being uh, a roman guard he knew his he had one job make sure no one gets out if the gates were open and everyone was gone he was good as dead so he was going to take his own life and paul said we are right here So sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to look someone in the eye and maybe ask them how they're doing and wait to answer. Maybe you need to reach out to that person that you keep texting and they don't respond. The simplicity of remembering someone's name or asking their name, you have no idea one prompting by the spirit of kindness, you have no idea what God will do with that. Because in that moment, I was dead set on taking my life. And this person said my name. And it's pretty beautiful to know that Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. God saves. And just thinking about that, it's like, wow, I I ran. Instead of taking my life, I ran for my life. And there was a two-year period where I started working in gyms. And I was trying to put enough dirt on my dirt so that I didn't feel bad about myself. But you can't do that. It just continues to fester. And I was struggling uh, internally, even though I start working at a gym, start having some success, work my way up in the gym, have a management role. Um, But throughout that journey, person after person would find out about my past. I would lie about it until I got found out about it. And then this girl walks into the gym, and I ask her out on a date, and she said no. And then I fell in love. She, she said she rejected me, and I was like, "Wow, <laughs> let's get married." Uh, and uh, she she's like, "No to dinner, but I'll I'll go on a run with you." And uh, so I met her to go on this run. And uh, as as I you know as I'm waiting for her to get there, I get there early. I almost feel like I hear my mom's voice uh, in my head. So again, I grew up in this, in the south in South Carolina. It's like, don't you lie to that girl don't you lie to that girl. And I couldn't shake it. Like, don't you lie to that girl. Because person after person, I just waited for the truth to hurt that person because I didn't want to own my part. But for her, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to tell her. And she shows up. The The run never made its way to a run. Instead, uh, we walked. We walked and talked. And... I said, hey, there's something I had to tell you. And I told her that I was in that industry. I told her, you know, I was pretty much, I made, a, I made about a five-minute case of this is how bad I am. And she was pretty shocked by what I said. And then she got really serious and kind of stepped forward and said, you know, a person is not defined by the worst thing they've ever done. And a person's not defined by the greatest thing they'll ever do. There's a creator of all things, including you. He's the author of life. So you don't get to say "That defines you. He defines you. Do you know who God is? And for me, um, I lived my entire life I call it the first date mask, where I don't know who I am. But I'm really good at putting on this mask and becoming whoever I believe you want me to be so that you'll like me. Because I didn't think I was any good. I didn't think I was worth anything. So I just tried my best to people please. And she, you know, she, she heard what I had to say and she was like, Well, okay, well, what's what's your relationship with Jesus like? Like where where are you plugged in, in community? Like where do you attend church? And I was just like, You got me. <laughs> I if, if that's what you're talking about, I, I don't have that. And, you know, that's the beauty of being in community. You either have it or you don't. And after that, she's like, well, I've been following Jesus since I was in the seventh grade. My entire family is Christian. And um, like the song, uh, Cornerstone is her favorite song. And um, she was saying, hey, I'm not perfect by any means. My relationship with Jesus is the foundation of my life. So do you like tacos or what? I was like, whoa, hold on a second. I just told you all that and you didn't reject me? She's like, no, I, I want to know more about you. Like, what, what are some of your hopes and dreams? And I was like, well, I told you like, who I was. And she's like, are you still doing that? I was like, no. She's like, well, why, do, why are you saying you're still that person? And she was confronting the, the very lie that I was holding onto so tightly that I was what happened to me and what I did. That's that's the lie that we all struggle with. The the lie that other people, you know, that might speak over us, the thing that happened to us, the thing that we did. It's so easy to define ourselves by that, but she challenged that. And we we continued a conversation all week and then she invited me to church. And I, I go because I 'm intrigued, and uh, I get there, and there's this big wooden plaque, and it says, We want to love people where they are and encourage them to grow in their relationship with Jesus Christ and I was like, Jesus sounds cool, but if you knew who I was, if you knew my story there's no way that I had a place in a church like this and i fa- and I found out I was wrong and as I, as I sit there, um, a pastor gets up and he he starts telling his story and how his relationship with Jesus changed his life. And um, Kyle was sharing with me, you guys were talking about in 1 Samuel. So this, the, the, the sermon was about the dynamic between uh, Jonathan and David. And when Jonathan died, historically, um, the previous kingdom was wiped out. They didn't want anyone to think they had access to the new kingdom. So everyone in the previous family was killed. But David was different. And David actually said, is there anyone left out of Jonathan's lineage? Yes, Mephibosheth. And he was like, okay, go find him. And they go and find Mephibosheth. And David's guard, instead of extending a spear, he extends a hand. And he brings him into his kingdom and restores his land. And the pastor's telling the story. And he's like, well, well, guess what? Mephibosheth, he thought he was deserving of death because of history. Well, Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23 says, The wages of sin is death. Eternal separation from God. So guess what? We're all guilty. And we're all deserving of death because of our history. Because we inherited Adam and Eve's sin. So what are we to do? There's a holy and perfect God. That standard is perfection. We're separated from God. There's a bridge that we need to get to God that we can't build because we're imperfect. God... For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus came into this world fully God, fully man, lives a life that we never could. Faced temptation but never sinned. He endured the cross. He died on the cross and on the third day he didn't stay dead. He authenticated his identity. He rose on the third day. So what does that mean for for you? What does that mean for me? I'm, I'm hearing this. Romans 10, 9. Whoever believes, whoever believes, whoever confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believes he raised from the dead will be saved. And I'm hearing all this and I'm overwhelmed and the Holy Spirit's doing something in my heart. And then he starts talking about the question that I was struggling with. Why? Would Jesus die for someone like me? With joy set before him, he endured the cross. He died for me, not because I earned it, not because I deserved it, because he loved me. So what that did, it shattered my human perspective that I had put on Christianity. I couldn't disqualify myself and I couldn't qualify myself. It's because of who Jesus is and what He did. In that moment I gave I gave my life to Christ. And that 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 was that was the biggest moment of my life and it removed the shame and the guilt and the weight that I've been carrying for so long. And um, if if we throw that picture up on the screen, so that um we have that picture. So that girl that took me on a walk, uh, I, 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 I clung on to my faith. I clung on to the Bible, and I clung on to her. So her name, her name is Hope, and uh, we've been married for seven years. And we've got three kids, and uh, we go to the next slide. We've got, uh, we got one on the way. <laughs> so uh, we, we find out tomorrow, actually, if uh, it's going to be a boy or a girl. But uh, so, you know, four kids a life that uh, I would never even have the, you know, the, I didn't even, like, have the capacity to hope or imagine this because literally I had everything that I said I would never have to the point where I was re- I was willing to take my life. And what I want to share with you today is uh, I, I want to just walk through really quickly the life of Peter. Peter had a lot of ups, a lot of downs, but when he surrendered his life fully through understanding who Jesus was and what he was called to, he took the passion that he had, the emotion, the courage, the fear, he took it all, and it set him on this trajectory where he made a huge impact for the kingdom. And uh, I, I, I like to choose Peter because uh, it's like, man, it, my my life was pretty rough, but you know, I didn't deny Jesus three times to his face. So, <laughs> but I mean, but we, but I mean, I, I, I joke. But if you if you look at Scripture, it's like, man, uh, I'm too bad to do this, man. Like you, you look at Moses, you look at David, you you look at the the stories of the heroes of the Bible, and are they perfect? No, but their posture and their worship and their understanding towards God transformed them. And that's what God stands ready to do in your life. That's what he did in my life. That's what he continues to do. That's who he is. That's what he does. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is real. I was dead, and now I'm alive. I'm new. I have a new heart, a new purpose, new meaning to my life. So I I didn't know that God made me to preach, but he did. So that's what I'm going to (laughs) do. So uh, I want to start with... Um, Matthew 4. So we'll be predominantly in Matthew. So we'll be in Matthew 4. Uh, We'll live a little bit in Matthew 16. uh, And then we'll finish in John 21. So in uh, Matthew 4 we have uh, this first interaction with Jesus and Peter. So Matthew uh, 4 18 through 20. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. So see the connection? So they were fishermen. So they, they, they were identified by what they did, and that's how they identified themselves. And Jesus says, come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out. To fish for people. They thought they were fishermen. Jesus says, "No, you are fishers of men. As are you. That's what we're called to do." Like the the most asked question. If you 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 look on Google, the most asked question: uh, What's my purpose? Why am I here? What am I supposed to do with my life? Uh, you're supposed to know God and love God, and out of out of that love and knowledge, serve Him. My relationship with Jesus saved my life, but the Bible transformed my life. If you want your life to change, get in the Bible and take it seriously. Read it and apply it to your life. That'll change your life. That's the magic sauce. Like everyone wants a pill or a program, you got God's word to you. It's not about you, but it's for you. So we see, we see this, and then, uh, so after Jesus calls him, when do they follow him? At once. At once, when you, when you believe Jesus to be who he is, you lay your life down, because it's going to cost you. Love costs. Following Jesus will cost you. That's the point. He wants you to lay the things down in your hands that are getting in the way so that you can do and become who he's called you to be. And then we we see this next stage of his life where so Peter had seen, uh Peter had seen some things. He'd seen Jesus heal the sick. Uh we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute. Like he Peter walked on water. We, we've, we've seen all these things. Um, you know, they've we, we see this interaction in Mark where the disciples are on this boat, and there's this storm and uh, wind and the waves, and, you know, Jesus is asleep. And they're like, what are you doing? Why are you asleep? We're going to die. And he, and he challenges their faith. And he says, peace be still, and everything stops. And I, I love that part um, of that story because if you, if you back up, I think it's in Mark 2, um, it was Jesus' idea to get on the boat. Jesus is sovereign. He's omniscient. He knew the storm was coming. Sometimes you need to go through something so you can see Jesus for who He is, and that's where Peter was in his life. And then, and then we see this interaction. Um, so in Matthew sixteen, uh, we we see Jesus asking him, you know, who do you, who do you say that I am? Uh, I, I think the slide is sixteen sixteen, but I'll, I'll back up a little bit to uh, verse thirteen. So. Chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? And that's the most important question that you could ever answer. Who do you say Jesus is? Is he both Lord and Savior? Who do you say he is? And this this is Peter's response. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So he he saw him for who he is. And then uh, it continues in verse 17. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So, Peter's looking pretty good at this point. But if you hop down four verses, if you have hop down four verses, uh, Jesus is telling them, this is why I came. I'm, I'm going to go to the cross and die and rise on the third day. And Peter couldn't couldn't rationalize it because sometimes when God doesn't fit in your box, you stop worshiping Him. When God doesn't line up with your expectations, you stop seeing Him for who He is. And then you try to be God. And that's how pain and frustration and sin, it enters our life and it distorts how you see God. And Peter (laughs) rebukes Jesus. Uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord. So verse 22, never, Lord. That shall never happen to you. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. So he goes from the rock to Satan in four verses. And I, I, I share these things with you because it's very easy for us to do this. That's why I love sharing Peter's story. Because there's some things that happen throughout your life that mark you. And it causes you to to see the world, to see yourself, to see God. It impacts you uh, in in a very real way. So one of the one of the highlights uh, that I was going to share. So this is uh, previous uh, Matthew 14, 20, uh, 29, 30, uh, 29 through thirty. Peter walks on water. Um, So he walks on water. So Peter got down on the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. And then, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. He began to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. So we we see that this this miraculous faith, this miraculous courage, uh, Peter was courageous enough to step out on water and walk to Jesus. He, He saw Jesus for who he was, the Son of Man. Uh, if, you, if, if you really want to nerd out on some theology, uh, so John 1 is a great, uh, if, if you're trying to, to solidify Jesus being God, like John 1's great. Uh, the Logos, you know, he, 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 is the, he, he was with the Word and is the Word. You know, He is the Word. Uh, he was with God. And he is God. But you're studying the Son of Man, that the tie-in from Daniel 7, and you're seeing what Daniel 7 is saying. It's, it, Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. He's not standing, but he's seated because he's done. It's amazing. But um, as we continue, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens when you fall. Like what happens when you fall? How, what is your response to sin? What's, what's your response when uh, you do the thing you said you would never do? What happens when life throws something at you and you feel so overwhelmed that it crushes you? Um, so, Matthew 26, we see um, Peter saying, you know, Jesus was saying that, that you guys are going to, you know, his disciples, you're going to fall away from me. And then Peter uh, 26, 33 says, Peter replied, even if I fall away on account of you, even if all fall away, I never will. And then Jesus' response um, we see on the screen. So 2634, truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he does. Not once, not twice, but three times. Peter, that had walked on water, that had seen Jesus perform miracles, that had been walking with him, for three years, seen him do miraculous things. When confronted, he denies Jesus. Um, so we, we see this. So I'm going to go uh, John 18 just to just to just show you. So we're, we're going to jump over to John now. So it'll be in 18 and then we'll finish in 21. Um, so Jesus has been taken and... We see this interaction, uh, John 18, 17 through 18. You aren't one of the man's disciples, too, are you? She asked Peter. He replied, I am not. It was cold, and the servants and officials stood around a fire they had made to keep warm. Peter was also standing with them, warming himself. And I'll highlight that verse. Um, I had the opportunity to, to really dig into the Greek language. Um, so the the thing that transformed my life again the Bible. So after the, I had this radical encounter with God, three days after that, I go into this church. And I'm like, hey, I've got a story, and I want to share it with you. And this this pastor sits down with me. He's like, man, you you know, let's get a Bible in your hand. And he introduced me to this guy Andrew Yates. And Andrew Yates, um, DTS grad. He uh, he had just finished. Dallas Theological Seminary. He had moved to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I was, and he's like, you know, let's spend some time together, and I'll teach you, you know, the, the basics of understanding context of the Bible. You know, who who wrote this letter? Who was it written to? These these, these things matter. You know, if you understand the author and the audience and the and the and the culture of the times, it allows you to understand understand the text better. And in, and in, uh, New Testament predominantly written in Greek. And there's this word, anthrakia, that shows up twice. We see it in John 18, it uh, means the burning coals. We see it twice, and then we see it again. So we're going to hop over to John 21. So the second time we see it, Jesus is making breakfast. He's making breakfast uh, on, on the shore. And... Um, We'll, we'll pick up in uh, verse 15. So 2115. Uh, so Jesus had made breakfast, invited them to the shore. And it's, it's really amazing to, to look at where. Um, so the reason that I highlight these burning coals was because your smell, your sense of smell, is so closely tied to your sense of memory. Where it's like growing up in South Carolina, I, I lived in my grandmother's home with my mom most of my life. And man, the smell of buttermilk biscuits is deeply ingrained into my smell. And anytime time I smell it, I think of my grandma. It makes me happy. Uh, and, and, and there's certain smells that are tied to you, but sometimes um, there, there's certain things that are in your environment that cause you to remember trauma like that as well. And we see these burning coals. The first time we saw the burning coals, Peter was denying Jesus. The second time we see it, Jesus is inviting him in to a conversation. He's cooking some fish. They're they're, they're by this um, fire. And then starting in 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And what I want to look at really quickly, how am I doing on time? Do I need to five minutes. Okay, I gotta move. Okay, I'm moving fast. Okay, um, so I just want to d- dig into this. So, so love, so. What, if we understand what love is, So, 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7 says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily anchored, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. That's what love is. That's what real love is. And when we see this, so I'm going I'm to fly through this. We might skip a little, stuff, a little bit of stuff. But here's what I want you to know. There's three different kinds of love in the Greek. So in the Greek, when there's a, the, talking about love, the language allows you to be super precise. When we say love in Western culture, it can mean a lot of things. I love my wife. I love fried chicken. It's not the same, right? They don't equate. But what, in, in this, agape means the totality of love, self-serving. This is the love that God has for his people. Um, and, then you have, uh, and then you have phileo, and that's a brotherly love. That's a brotherly love, a friendship. And then uh, eros, it's a, a romantic love. Uh, it, it's, it's a depiction of a husband and a wife. Um, but, but here's what I want to share with you from that. So as we go back to that verse, here's, here's what happened. Jesus says, do you agape me? Peter says, I phileo you. Jesus says, do you agape me a second time? I phileo you. Third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? Peter says, yes, I phileo you. And here's what I want to share with you. Jesus wants to meet you where you really are. Today, right now, Jesus wants to meet you where you really are. And if you meet him where you really are, he'll take you to a place where only he could take you. But it's going to cost you something. Because it's easy to confess enough of the truth to alleviate your guilt, but it's hard to put all your cards on the table. It's hard to put that wound from the past on the table. The person that wronged you Maybe you were the person that did wrong. Maybe you said something you shouldn't have said. Maybe it's an apology. You feel like that person doesn't owe. You you don't owe them. They don't deserve it. What is holding you back? What is keeping you trapped? Because for me, I built a fence with my smile. But that fence was keeping me trapped. What is holding you back today? Because if you give it to him, he will heal you and he will use your pain. He will repurpose your pain. And we see this happens in Peter's life. He says, hey, go feed my sheep. And then, and then all of a sudden we see in Acts 3, I'll, I'll just fly through this. So Acts 3, 13 through 19, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our father. So this is Peter preaching to a Jewish audience. So, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed. You disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided, to let, had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked a murderer, Barabbas, to be released. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and now and know was made strong. So someone was healed and they were trying to say, wow, you are amazing. He's like, you don't get it. Jesus is the one who healed him. The one that you wanted crucified. You did that. And he's speaking with such fervor and such passion and such zeal. Because he too put Jesus on the cross with his sin. As did we. That's what God wants to do with your pain. Whatever it is, if you give it to him, he will alleviate it and he will use it. That's who he is. That's what he does. That's what I want to share with you. If you meet Jesus where you really are and give him all of you, not 90%, all of you, he will transform your life. And there's things that you went through and walked through that he's going to use to minister to others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the promises of your word. We thank you that you make all things new. God, I just pray for anyone in this room that is is struggling with something. Because, God, you know that we all were born with a wound, but you want to heal us but we carry this scar, and that scar, it doesn't point to our past. It points to you. It points to you, Jesus. So God, I pray, whatever we walk through, I pray that you heal us and transform us and allow us to be ministers of your word of reconciliation. Allow us to live in the goodness of our testimony. And God, I pray for anyone in this room. God, I pray that if, if there is anyone that doesn't know you, In this room, God, I just want uh, to say this. uh, There's one way to be reconciled to God, and it's through Jesus. John 14, 6 talks about this. Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what is it going to cost you? Your life. If you come to Jesus and say... I believe you are who you claim to be. I believe that you are the Son of Man. You need to confess that you are a sinner. That we're, we've fallen short. We all are. We, If, if, if you don't confess that you need a Savior, there's no way that you need to be saved. So we must confess that we need a Savior, and Jesus alone can save us. So Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need saving. I believe that you lived and died for me. And we pray that anyone wrestling with this that uh, you you connect with someone or you, you pray in your heart um, because there's there's no perfect prayer that that causes you to to be saved. It's it's true faith. It's true faith that saves you, faith in Jesus. So if you come to him and say, I'm a sinner, I need saving. God, fill me with your spirit so that I can follow you with all of my life for the rest of my life. And you believe that Jesus laid down his life and died for you. It makes sense for your response to be that you want to lay down your life and live for him. And that is my prayer for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.